Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we're seven weeks uh, into this series that we've been doing entitled The Prodigal God. And it's really a study of the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. Uh, as I said in week one, you, you might more appropriately title uh, the parable, the parable of the lost son. Or even more specifically, it should be titled the parable of the two lost sons. When we think about the story that's presented us here. Jesus actually told three parables in a row. He told a parable about a lost sheep being found and there's a celebration that takes place. He tells a parable about a lost coin that someone goes looking for and there's a celebration that takes place. And, and he also says, tells us a parable about this lost son, or actually two lost sons, when you get the full meaning of why Jesus tells this story. And also a celebration took place after the younger son had had returned home. But the reason Jesus tells this story, and, and I've read this every week because without understanding the context of why Jesus is telling these parables, you, you miss the meaning, the true meaning that he has there. It's easy for us to read the parable of the prodigal son and just think it's just a story about someone messing their life up. And it is that, but it's more than just that. Because he, he tells a story in response to this. The Bible tells us in the first of this chapter that these parables are located in. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. But you see, the Pharisees and the scribes had a problem with that. They were grumbling and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with him. So because of the attitude that they had, Jesus tells them this parable. The Pharisees probably could have celebrated that someone had lost a sheep and found it. They probably could have celebrated that someone even lost a coin and, and found it. But the Pharisees looked like to me that they were having a problem with lost people being found and sinners hanging around Jesus. And Jesus knows their heart. And that's why he tells them this parable, because Jesus has given these Pharisees a picture of themselves in the elder brother in this story. And if we fail to recognize that, we're going to focus more on the younger brother when we really need to focus a whole lot on the, on the elder brother in these parables that Jesus is sharing with us. In, in this story, Jesus intends for the listeners or the readers to contrast the two brothers. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing that. We've looked at the two brothers, and, and we see how Jesus maybe gave us a, a new definition of what sin is. Because sin is doing bad, but sin is also trusting in, in doing good and thinking you're okay. And in the elder brother, we see that picture. We see a picture of someone that thinks they're okay, that they don't need God's grace, that if you work really hard, you can earn your inheritance. So we have a, a contrasting story of what sin is. We also contrasted the two and saw a, a new view of what lostness is, because yes, you're lost if you live a really, really bad life, but 
In this parable, Jesus is also teaching you're lost if you're trying to depend upon living a very, very good life. If you think by your own abilities, by your own good works, somehow you'll earn your way to heaven. He's given us a picture of how that is not true. In fact, that's just another form of lostness. Today we're still contrasting this this story, these, these brothers. But since we've talked about sin, we've talked about lostness, today we want to ask ourselves this question, how, how do we escape lostness? How do we escape the guilt of our sin? How, do we, how can we be rescued? And in order to help us do that, we're going to uh, ask ourselves two really important questions, I think. Question number one is this, what do we need to escape lostness? Well, what is it that you and I need, or what is it that people needed in that day and time? What what do we need to escape our lostness? And we're going to look at about three things that I think I see in this story that are essential to us escaping lostness. The first one is this. We, we need to understand God the Father loves us. We need to understand there's a love that is initiated by the Father. Because if we fail to understand God loves us, we may not even try and approach Him at all. The fact of the matter is this. God loves irreligious sinners. That's pictured in this, in this younger son, this younger brother. who have ruined their lives, who have gone out and made terrible choices. The the Bible said this, and he arose, talking about the younger son, he arose and, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, now get the image of what takes place. In other words, the father, when he sees him coming, does not stay on the front porch tapping his foot, saying, well, he better have a good reason for everything that he's done. He better come up here and get down in the dirt, and he better wallow around in his shame, and he better come to me and beg me and beg me to forgive him. Now, in our human nature, that's kind of what we would anticipate or expect might would happen. But instead, we see the exact opposite. This father runs with compassion. He runs to his son. He embraces him. And he gives him a kiss. That shows us how much the father loves us. Even loving people who are very irreligious. People who have messed up their lives. This father has a lot of compassion and runs to him. Dr. Keller, in his his book, if you're in our small groups and you're reading through the book, on page 74, made a statement that I think is very important for us to focus on this morning. And he said this, It is not repentance that causes the Father's love, but rather the reverse. The Father's lavish affection makes the Son's expression of remorse far easier. See, somehow we get in our minds that in order to make God love us, we have to repent first. When the truth of the matter is, that father loved his son, even though his son had messed up. And God loves irreligious people, even before they come to him. God loves them. 
You, you want evidence of that? Hey, everyone was irreligious and Jesus died on the cross. He, he died on the, on the cross to display God's love while we were still yet sinners. So, you know, God doesn't love us because all of a sudden we've cleaned our lives up and we're good little people. He loves us. And you have a picture of that great love in this father running out to his son. That's a picture of God the Father loving even irreligious sinners. People who have been very, very bad and, and they've messed up their life. That's a picture of, of our wonderful God ready to run to sinners who come to him. Not because we've repented. He loves us before we even repent. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says this, Or, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? The, but notice this, the last part of that verse. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, God is even good to us, wanting to lead us to repentance. We need to remember that sometimes, because sometimes as, as Christians, we get a little bit self-righteous, sometimes ourselves, amen, Right? And if we see God blessing someone that we think is living a terrible life out in sin, we kind of get upset by it when the truth of the matter is God loves them and He loved us before we ever came to Him. He, he's good to us to lead us to repentance. His goodness is to lead us to repentance. And that's literally what happens in this story because as we read about this irreligious younger brother who had ran off in terrible sin... He's there in the pig pen, the mess of his own making. And, and the Bible says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Do you, do you see what he does? He's there in a mess that he's made out of his life. And in the middle of that mess, what prompts him to go back to his father is a memory that he has of how much the Father even loves his servants. How much care the Father even gives for his hired servants. He, he, he gets a picture in his mind. He, he has this memory that God even cares for his hired servants. You know, that my Father does. And that's a picture of God for us, that my Father even cares for his hired servants. So because he so loves his servants, I, I'm going to go to him. And that's the image we need to have of God. God loves us. God loves people. He proved it by sending His Son to die on the cross. So we ought to go to Him. We ought to repent because of His love. Not in order to get His love. So the first thing anyone needs in order to be saved and escape from their losses is to simply understand that, that there's a love that's initiated by God the Father. And that story teaches us really this. I think it teaches us that even the greatest of sinners is loved by God the Father. So that means there's hope for them. That means today if somehow you have believed a lie and you have been thinking that, well, yeah, God loves these good people, but He doesn't love me because how bad I've messed up my life, you need to understand that's a lie that the devil's trying to sell you when the truth of the matter is God loves you and there's hope for you no matter how bad you've been. But not only do we see that this... Initiating love with the Father gives us a picture of how God loves irreligious sinners. It also gives us a picture of this, that the Father also loves religious, self-righteous sinners. And we get a picture of that in the, in the elder lost son, who's upset and mad that his father has brought home this sinner. 
The Bible says he was angry and he refused to go in. But notice what the father did. His father came out and entreated him. So the father went out to this sinful son and welcomed him in. But when he sees this elder son that is staying home on the farm, working and helping, outside seething with bitterness, instead of this father saying, well, if that's the way he's going to be, he can just stay outside. Instead, he also goes to this elder son who gives us a picture of someone that's very religious, who's very self-righteous. He comes to him and he says, I beg you, please come in. So God loves irreligious sinners, but he also loves self-righteous people. And if God loves both, we need to love both. Amen? If, if God loves sinners, but he also loves these self-righteous people, we need to love them. In this story of him coming out to that self-righteous son, that elder son, we get a picture of this also. Even the most moral people need God's initiating love and grace. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, you're still lost without God's love and without God's grace. Jesus tells this parable to Pharisees, who, by the way, in just a little while will be plotting to kill him. <laughs> Jesus is telling this story, trying to change the heart of people he knew were his enemies. And that gives us a picture of how great the love of God is, even for people who might be enemies of his. Like the Pharisees would be of Jesus. But it also teaches us that even the most self-righteous Pharisee is loved by God and there's hope for them if they'll stop trusting in their own goodness, if they'll stop being self-righteous, and if they'll turn to God the Father, understanding they need Him, they need His love, and they need His grace. So like I said a moment ago, we need, to, we need to love both. You know what my problem is over the last few years, I think? I, I used to be pretty good being a Pharisee. So, uh, you know, I was pretty good at looking down on the... Uh, irreligious sinners. My problem now is I think sometimes I tend to uh, look down on the self-righteous religious people. Because I've seen the way they acted, I see the way they hurt people and everything else. But I need to remember God loves self-righteous people too. Just as much as He loves irreligious sinners. And the truth of the matter is this, guys, if, if it were not for the initiating love of the Father, we wouldn't have any hope. We'd be lost. If God the Father did not decide to run to us, if He did not decide to come to us, we would not have any hope whatsoever. The Bible tells us this also in, in Romans. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Uh, no one understands. Catch the last part of it. No one seeks for God. Do you see that? Now, a lot of people get the idea, oh, yes, I, I decided that I was going to go seeking for God, and I found Him, and that's why I'm saved. Well, you might think that, but the truth of the matter is you never would have started looking for God if He had not initiated it in your heart to start with. Because He says no one seeks for Him. No one goes looking for Him. Without Him initiating the, the deal and coming after us, we, we would have been lost without any hope whatsoever. Some people will say to that, well, but I thought the Bible said that God said, if you seek for me, you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Yes, it does, but God initiates in your heart the desire to find him. 
So the first thing that we need to understand clearly, if we're going to escape our lostness, is the initiating love of the Father. He loves us, and that ought to prompt us to have the desire to come to Him and, and repent, which is the second thing we need. If we're going to escape our lostness is, is repentance. But it's a repentance that goes deeper than just regret or just sorrow. The, the younger son said, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So here, here's the deal. You, you've got this younger son there standing in this pig mess that he's made of his own life. And he understands the tragedy of it all. He understands the error of his ways. And, and yes, he's remorseful. That is part of repentance. He's sorrowful. He's remorseful for where he's at and, and where it's led him. But you see, true repentance is more than just being remorseful. This young man could have been remorseful and sorry for what he had done and stay in the pig pen. Instead, he, he's sorry for what he's done. He's remorseful, but he does this. He gets up and he goes to the Father. And that's the part of repentance we need to understand. We do have to admit to God that we're sinners and that we've made a mess of our lives. But you don't just do that and be sorry that you've sinned. Some people are only sorry that they get caught, you know. They're not really sorry for what they've done. But true repentance is more than just sorrow for what you've done. It's you being aware of what you've done, seeing yourself as God sees you, and you get up and you go to the Father. That's, that's a picture of repentance. It's an awareness of where we are in, in a desire. We turn and we go to God the Father. And that's what takes place in, in this story. But you see, repentance is more also than just being that younger brother over here that's confessing what he's done. A fuller picture of repentance that Jesus gives in this story is also repenting of depending upon your own goodness. Repentance is admitting the bad that you've done, but repentance is also this. It's admitting to God that you've been trusting in the good that you thought you could do. Real repentance is more than making a list of your sins. Real repentance is also quit making a list of all the good things you think you've done that God ought to let you into heaven for. Because you need both for it to be really full repentance. Because if you're still trusting in this list that you've made out of all your good deeds, and you think that's going to get you the inheritance, that's going to get you into heaven one day, I, I'm telling you, it will not. You're lost. You have to repent of being a sinner of the bad deeds, but also repent of trusting in the good works that you think somehow you've done in your life repentance means repentance means quit trying to be your own savior and understand jesus did that for you what do we need in order to escape our lostness first of all we need to realize god loves us and he initiated love toward us we we need repentance it goes a lot deeper than just being sorry for what we've done but but the third thing we need is this we need to understand we need to have a clear understanding that the antidote for our sin and lostness is not just being good that doesn't fix it the elder brother told his father, look, I've done this for you all these many years. I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. He's trusting in his own actions and in his own goodness to be the antidote for the problem that he's having with the father. 
Bring that forward to us and God the Father. We cannot trust. We must not trust. We have to understand this, that the antidote to being a sinner and the antidote to being lost is not we reform our lives and all of a sudden we just start doing better and God will have to let us into heaven because we're doing better. Because that's not the story at all. That doesn't work at all for us to think that by being good, we can escape our lostness. What will help us escape our lostness? Understanding God loves us, repentance, it goes deeper than just being sorry for what you've done. Also being sorry for trusting in what you've done that you think is good. We need to understand that our goodness is not the antidote for our lostness. That's what we need. But the second question is this, who do we need? Because we need more than just those three what's that I've talked to you about. If we want to escape our lostness, who is it that we need to escape our lostness? And Jesus gives us a picture of that in this story, really a picture of himself. I told you a moment ago when I first started the message that in this story, Jesus told three parables. He told a parable of a lost sheep. Someone goes looking for that lost sheep. He tells a story of a lost coin. Someone goes looking for that lost coin. And then he tells a parable of a lost son. But no one goes looking for the lost son. And I think Jesus intentionally did that to make us wonder why. Because if the original listeners and us today as we read it, if we pay attention to that, it ought to make us ask, our, ask a question. Well, someone cared enough to go find the sheep. Someone cared enough to go find the coin. Why in the world did someone not care enough to go find this rebellious lost son? And I think Jesus told the story like that, wanting us to long for a true elder brother in this story. The problem with the elder brother that's in this story is this. He really didn't give a hoot. (laughs) The younger brother, the problem in this story, has an older brother that's a Pharisee. And to better understand what's taking place, if you understand the background and the culture of that day and time, historically, if you look back into the culture, you would discover the one that had the responsibility to go after that lost younger brother would have been the elder brother. It would not have been the father to have gone, not a patriarchal father, but it would have been the elder brother, the oldest son, because he is underneath him, and he's going to be uh, next in line to be in head of the family. And he should have cared enough to have gone himself, using his own energy, his own time, his own expense, to do everything that he could to go find that younger brother and bring him back home. But he did not do that because he didn't care. Part of his motive was also this. You see, since the inheritance had already been divided up between the younger son and the older son, the father still had access to it until he died. Uh, But literally speaking, the inheritance belonged to that elder son to the elder brother and had he gone looking for the younger son he would have had to have done so at his own expense there's no way around it it would have cost him money out of his inheritance to have done everything he could to go and bring the younger son home but as i said it doesn't happen in the story because the elder brother was not willing to go he was a pharisee type in his heart that's why jesus tells the story The older brother in this story was not willing to pay the cost to go and bring the younger brother home. 
in, in, his, in his book, in, in this chapter in, in his book, Dr. Keller tells a, a story. He recounts, a, really it was a sermon uh, by, by a man by the name of, uh, I forgot his name, Edmund Clowney, who had actually told this story in a sermon. And, and it's about a, a Lieutenant Daniel Dawson. I read that and I thought, there's Lieutenant Dan, maybe, you know. But... Uh, but, but Lieutenant Daniel Dawson was lost in action during the Vietnam War. And his family did everything they could from stateside, from here in the United States, trying to find out all they could about their, their lost youngest son. And they just couldn't get enough information. So here's what happened. Donald Dawson, the older brother decides to go at his own expense, taking his own time, and he goes to Vietnam while the war is still taking place and searches in the jungles of Vietnam while the fighting is still going on, looking for his younger brother. He goes and he hires a a, a lady that's a a French-Vietnamese as his interpreter. And he has a German shepherd guard dog with him. And they're walking through the jungles during wartime of Vietnam trying to find Lieutenant Daniel Dawson, his younger brother. Does it for nine months. For the last four months of that time, he was taken prisoner by the Viet Cong. They came out to take him prisoner. The dog came and tried to attack them. They shot the dog. They barbecued it and ate it right in front of him. Kept him a prisoner there for four months. And finally they decided to let him go if he would promise not to come back looking for his younger brother until after the war was over. Right before they let him go, they brought a flight jacket to him and showed him the name of his younger brother and they told him that he was dead. But both sides, both our troops and the Viet Cong heard about this story and they so respected this older brother's efforts to find his younger brother that they just referred to him and called him the brother. It's a neat story, isn't it? Someone care that much, risk that much, to go and try and find their younger brother. Can I tell you a better story? Can I tell you a story of a true elder brother that's missing in this parable? Can I tell you that we have a much greater elder brother and his name is Jesus Christ? We have a true elder brother who we need to trust in and depend upon if we're going to escape our lost condition. And our true elder brother has done so much more than we can imagine for us. Our true elder brother did more than leave one country and go to another country to find us. He left the very glory of heaven and came into this sinful world to hunt for us and find us and take us back home. Our true elder brother did more than pay money for us. He paid for our freedom with his life nailed to a cross, with his shed blood running down that cross. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And our true elder brother understood that. And he came and shed his blood that we might be saved. 
Our true elder brother was stripped of his robe and his dignity so you and I, through faith in him, could be clothed in the very glory and the dignity of God himself. Our true elder brother was treated like an outcast so that we might not be outcast. He was forsaken so we would not be forsaken. We could be brought into God's family because of what he did for us in our faith in him. Isaiah tells us he was despised and rejected by men, talking about Jesus before he actually became incarnate in this world. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and as one from whom men uh, hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The Bible also tells us in Mark that Jesus told his disciples this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days and rise again. And then as Jesus was there on the cross being crucified, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you want to know why that happened? Why he was forsaken? So you and I would not be forsaken if we would trust in him. We have a true elder brother that's done much more for us than we can ever imagine. Our true elder brother Jesus drank the cup of God's judgment that we might drink the cup of God's joy. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's wrestling. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he drank the judgment and the wrath of God against sin for us. So you and I instead can drink God's joy. He was, our true elder brother, was sinless and perfect, and he became sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God. Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Perfect Jesus, never sinned, completely perfect, became sin for us that we might have the very righteousness of God. That's what our true elder brother did for us. The one that we need to trust in, the true elder brother that we need, the one that's missing from this parable that Jesus intentionally left vacant so we would long for a true elder brother, the one that we must have in order to escape our lost condition. He faced God's wrath against sin that we might be given God's grace and salvation as a free gift because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what our elder brother did for us. Aren't you glad we had a true elder brother? Aren't you glad that we had an elder brother who cared enough to come and look for us? Not like the elder brother in this story who was a Pharisee who did not care. Aren't you glad we had a true elder brother that came and paid the price, his own shed blood, that you and I, through faith in him, can have a relationship with God and have an inheritance with him for all eternity? That's our true elder brother. What do we need to escape our lostness? We need to understand God loves us. We need to repent of our sins and turn and go to Him. We need to understand that all of our good works will not do it. That's not enough to erase our lost condition or to help us be redeemed from our lost condition. We need to understand all three of those things. That's what we need to understand. But who do we need in order to escape lostness? We need a true elder brother. We need Jesus Christ, period. Not Jesus Christ plus something, not Jesus Christ minus something. If you add anything to what Jesus did on the cross for us as a means or criteria for your salvation, you have destroyed the power of the gospel. 
Because it is not Jesus Christ plus obeying the commandments. It is not Jesus Christ plus coming to church. It is not Jesus Christ plus tithing. It is not Jesus Christ plus reading your Bible through ten times. Or whatever you might think is criteria that will get you into heaven. It is Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing, period. Jesus himself on the cross said, it is finished. He meant that he had done everything necessary. He had completed everything for our salvation. And all we need to do is totally, completely rest in Jesus. What do we need to do to escape our lostness? We need to quit trying to renovate our lives and change from the outside in. Because the way the gospel works is this. We receive Jesus, we trust Him, and He changes us from the inside out. We need to see Him as He really is and understand how much He loves us. And instead of us standing distant from God, we need to be willing to come to Him. See, some of you might be a little bit like the younger brother. Some of you might feel like you've messed up so bad that there's no hope for you, so you might as well just keep on sinning. Well, what you need to understand is God loves you like the Father loved this younger son, and you need to be under that awareness, and you need to come to Him. Some of you might be like the older brother. And you're trying really, really hard to work your way to heaven because you think of God maybe as some mean old taskmaster in heaven or some mean boss in heaven. And in order to ever get into heaven, you have to jump through all these hoops or you're not going to get there. And if that's where you are, if you've been trying to work your way to heaven and you've been standing a little bit distant from God because you think He's just so harsh and so hard, you need to understand something. He also loves you. So much so that He sent Jesus Christ, His Son, as the true elder brother. That through faith in Him and faith in Him alone, we can escape our lostness. Dr. Keller closes out the chapter of the book. If you're in a small group, you should have read this week. But he closes out this chapter with these words, We will never stop being younger brothers or elder brothers until we acknowledge our need, rest by faith, and gaze in wonder at the work of our true elder brother, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, God forgive us when we've been like the younger brother and we've just been trying to gain our own happiness and grab what we think will make us happy in life by by worldly methods and wrong methods. Father, forgive us also when we've been like the elder brother and, and somehow we think we're good enough and we have served you enough to be able to dictate to you what you ought to do, to be able to earn our right to the inheritance, to be able to earn our way to heaven by works. God, forgive us if we've taken that approach. Father, help us right now to think about your great love. So much so that you nailed your son to a cross. That through faith in him, we can be forgiven. We can become your children. We can be redeemed. 
We can escape our lost condition. God, if we need to repent before you right now, Lord, help us to be more than just sorrowful for our sin, but help us to have a repentance to where we get up and we come to you. And we fully understand that our goodness is not enough. Help us long right now in our hearts for the true elder brother. Help us long for Jesus who who came into this world at great expense to himself and gave his all for us that we might be forgiven, that we might escape our lostness, that we might be brought home to you. And Father, if there's someone here who's never trusted in Jesus... Help them right now to understand He's the one. He's the only one. Through faith in Him that they can escape their lost condition. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.